Hi, I'm James Swallow, author of Star Trek The Fall, The Poison Chalice, and you're listening to The Captain's Table. Welcome to The Captain's Table. Welcome to The Captain's Table, where we explore the stories that have shaped Star Trek. My name's Michael, and with me this evening is Roz. Hi, Roz. Hi, Michael. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing really well, thank you. Just uh, having a nice, relaxing evening after a busy weekend. <laughs> oh, dear. Same same here. But, but I'm on holiday in less than 24 hours' time, and I can't wait. 11 days from work, and within that, I've got two conventions and I just feel like it's time for a holiday. Oh, I'm so jealous. I've had my holiday. I was away um, a few weeks ago, and I, just, I could be doing with another one, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the pictures on Facebook, and where you went was stunning. It was so beautiful, blue skies, and I'm not going abroad. I'm just staying in, hopefully, sunny London. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. At least we're getting a good summer this year, so... Um, you know, we've got to make the most of it while it's here. But yeah, it was lovely over in Cyprus. I was, yeah, I kind of wish I was still there. <laughs> oh, Cyprus is lovely. So here we are again. It, it feels like ages since we last recorded, but it wasn't because following on from our brilliant interview with James Swallow, we're going to be talking about Titan again this evening. I know. And it's so amazing to be reviewing a book and well, having read a book and now be reviewing it. And we've already had the chance to speak to the author about it and ask all of our questions and find out why he wrote it this way or that way and why he made this choice over that choice. And Oh, it was just brilliant. It's definitely listeners go listen to the James Swallow interview because he was fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. No, he was. And it's always great to have James on the captain table. He always brings something new and you always find out something new about Trek, about his stories and the characters that he and, and we love. So definitely go check that out. And or you might want to listen to our review first and then hear um, his thoughts on the book. Either way, it's going to work. But it's certainly uh, the Titan show again this evening. And nice to have a British author in the mix as well, because it's very often uh, uh, American authors. Not that we don't love them all, but it's you know it's quite nice to know that we've got some home homegrown Star Trek talent in there as well. <laughs> Definitely. So at that point, we should now all stand for God Save the Queen. <laughs> oh man if only we had a more exciting national anthem it always sounds like a bit of a dirge doesn't it god save the queen I saw we need something with a beat behind it oh it's true i saw that on twitter yesterday in fact we should have the um united federation of planets anthem that was in that tos episode yeah <laughs> oh dear so Roz, i think it's time we told the listeners the upcoming releases for june and july yeah, and there's certainly been plenty of them. We've had uh, The More Things Change by Scott Pearson, which is a original series novella that's come out this month. Um, one Constant Star by David R. George III, which is one of the Lost Era novels. Um, that also came out, was it this month or last month? Uh, end of last month into ah. this month. And uh, I've actually read both of those already. Uh, Trek Geek and... Uh, <laughs> And they're really, really good. Um, 
the more things change is a Christine Chapel story. So if you like Christine Chapel, then you're going to really like this story. And I was really pleasantly surprised by how great it was. And it's set during the period between Star Trek The Motion Picture and The Wrath of Calm. And I love stories featured then because it's it's through the second five-year mission and there's just not enough stories about the second five-year mission. So I would love to hear more. So this really pleased me. But continuing, for our German audience, in Germany at the moment, they're releasing quite a few of the older Star Trek novels and more of the up-to-date ones. And I have to say that when I went to FedCon back in May, it just feels so long ago now, Roz. Oh, the year is just flying by. Oh, it's crazy. But when I when I did go to FedCon, there was a book and they had all these all these Star Trek books. And obviously it was the German versions. But my word, the covers are so much better than ours. You know, we have some great covers on our books and that's no disrespect to the artist. But over in Germany, it is just extraordinary. And on the show notes, I will put a couple of these covers up for you to have a look at. But the Destiny one is just incredible. The Typhon Pact ones. The Voyager are just amazing. And it's like Robert Beltran in the latest uniform now, the grey uniform, and and, uh, Kim as well. And it's just really, really good. They're extraordinary. But for our German audience, you can now actually get Voyager Spirit Folk by Christine Golden. There's also the SEE book, Book 2, Fatal Error, by Keith R.A. DeCandido. You can also get Titan Fallen Gods by Michael A. Martin. And they've just released as an audio book, and I would like to hear this actually, perhaps not in German, but <laughs> <laughs> um, the audio book of A Death in Winter by Michael Jan Friedman. And it's a really good story because for those... and hopefully there's no spoiler alerts here because it is quite a few years old this is the story that gets picard and beverly together finally yes it's um it's a good one i enjoyed that book i I did too but on the other hand as you know was i i sort of rant about borg 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 everything borg up until (laughs) destiny and this is where it all began so michael jan freeman you have a lot to answer for (laughs) (laughs) but it did it it did start off an extremely good plot arc um, that came to a fantastic resolution. So we kind of have to thank him. <laughs> we do, we do. Let's be nice. Okay, Mike, you're off the hook now. Plus, he wrote about the giant furry cat people and what's not to love about the giant furry cat people. That, that is very, very true. And And here's a shameless plug. If you go back through the Captain's Table archives, go look for my interview with Michael Jan Freeman because it's great fun. And you'll find out about a lot of the books he's written, including this one, I believe. And finally, the last book that came out for July is The Light Fantastic by friend of the show, Jeff Lang. Now, again, I've read this. Definitely, Roz, we need a big cheer for this. We need a drum roll. (laughs) This is the book I've been raving about for months and months and months. And all, all Jeff has given us is a few hints and a few clues here or there especially on our our last interview with him on the captain's table. But I've read the story. I read it within a week and it's incredible. And I'm not going to give anything away because I I know you haven't read it yet, Roz. No, but it is on my to-do list. I have got the next sort of four books that I'm going to read planned out um, so that we can do them for these podcasts. And that is on the list. Cannot wait. And and I'm so sorry, listeners, because poor old Roz has, has suddenly had this massive list 
of, <laughs> of books to read at the moment. And then the other day on Twitter, I went and added another one. So Roz has been really good and hasn't hit me for that yet. 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 <laughs> being <Just wait>. <laughs> but no, The Light Fantastic is awesome. And Jeff is coming on the show really, really soon to discuss it with us. So go and read it now. You will not be disappointed. If you love data, you love Lao, then go and read this book because you're really going to enjoy it. Excellent. So before we get to Titan, there's actually one more interview for the listeners to go and have a look at. Now, I was really lucky enough to have a chat with Jeff Marriott recently, and we've actually done this as a written interview. It's on the website at visionarytrek.com. And Jeff tells us about his writing career, how he got involved in Star Trek, including Star Trek comics. And we also get to speak about his new Star Trek book, which came out in May, Serpents in the Garden, which is a follow up to A Private Little War from the original series. Now, go have a read of that. And of course, let us know what you thought of that. So that's it for book news. But we've had some feedback on previous shows, haven't we, Roz? Yeah, we have. It's been really great to hear from some of the listeners. We're so glad that you are enjoying the shows. But um, some of the feedback that we've been getting has been that he wants to hear a bit more about the books. So um, you've been telling us, don't be too scared about spoilers. Just talk a bit more about the books, about the plots. So that's what we're going to do. So if you are very sensitive to spoilers, then you maybe want to read the books and then listen to our reviews. But if you're not so fussed, then we hope that this will improve the show for you. So we've had some really good feedback as well about the Buried Age and the Voyager Full Circle shows. And we want to thank Dave and Babbitt and Julie for their feedback. And for the rest of the listeners, please tell us what you think of the shows. Tell us what you think of the stories, whether you agree or disagree. We really want to know. But thank you for everyone who's contacted us. Yeah, and if you would like to get in touch, you can do so through the website visionarytrek.com. You can email us. You can leave a voice message. You can get us through Twitter or Facebook. So please do feel free to get in touch. We would love to hear from you. So I think it's time we explored strange new worlds. Yes, and we are going to be talking this show, drumroll, about the Titan book, Synthesis. So before we speak about Synthesis, we just thought it would be good to give you, the listeners, some background about Titan. So the series takes place in what is regarded as a new era following a decade of conflict between the Federation and its enemies, such as the Borg, the Cardassians, the Klingons and the Dominion. Starfleet's renewing its mission of peaceful exploration and diplomacy, a mission spearheaded by the Titan, which in addition to Riker and Troy is manned by the most biologically varied and culturally diverse crew in Starfleet history. The series so far consists of 10 full-length novels, including the segment of The Fall, The Poison Chalice. There's the novella Absent Enemies, which... Again, plug here. We spoke to John Jackson Miller recently on the captain's table. And there's also tie-ins to the Destiny trilogy, the captain's table series. That's a great name, by the way. It is. Yeah, it's a good name for a book. We should have a show called that. Yeah, we should. Definitely. Let's write that down. (laughs) And the Typhon Pack series. So there's links. So Titan is pretty much everywhere. And it's also one of the most popular book series that's currently out there for pocket books at the moment and recently i spoke to andy mangles who created 
the Titan series. So look out for that interview coming very soon, listeners. So let's jump into Synthesis, I think, Roz. Yeah, well, Synthesis is the sixth novel of this series. It was released in November 2009. And a brief synopsis for those who haven't read it yet. The starship Titan continues on her outward voyage of discovery, ranging further and further from Federation space. Captain William Riker and the crew look forward to living Starfleet's mission, seeking out new life and discovering new civilizations. On encountering a spatial distortion, the Titan is knocked out of warp and finds itself in the midst of a battlefield. While searching for survivors, they discover a ship completely devoid of any signs that it ever had a crew, and they find a mysterious computer device. Upon returning to their ship, it becomes clear that this device is not what it seems. As their adventure continues, the crew of the Titan are faced with a new civilization, an old familiar face, and an enemy that, if set free, will destroy everything in this system and then, unchecked, spread its mindless destruction to the heart of the Federation. I just love the story synopsis. It just gets you (laughs) into the... the the action and into the story just so well and you just want to pick it up you want to read it that's a really good one yeah well that's a, a condensed version of the blurb from the back of the book but um the one that james swallow wrote while very good was quite long so we thought that we would keep it <laughs> down for the sake of this show so that we could get straight into talking about the book and how much we loved it and i think we should start by saying how james described it because he described it as a first contact story with an action twist. Yes, and that's that's a really good way to sum it up. Yeah, definitely. We, we've got a bit of everything here, and it's got all the characteristics of a Star Trek story. We have got that action adventure. We've got that we're looking at certain themes, which we're going to speak about in a minute, and they're deep and philosophical. And not only do you have that action, but you walk away after reading the book or while you're reading the book, and it gets you to ponder things. And I think that's always the right ingredients for a good Star Trek story. Yeah, I think um, it, it's got a bit of everything. But um, I, I think this is definitely one of the books that makes you think more than anything. You get some books that are all about character development. You get some books that are all about furthering the plot arc. This one, I think, is about getting you to think about the issues. And and that's refreshing. That's something new. Uh, it's nice to change up every so often, have a different style of book. No, definitely. And and many listeners will know that I, I've struggled with the Titan series over the years. And I've stopped, I've started, I've tried to go back. And, and Ros suggested that I jump in here. And I did. And, and, and I'm really pleased that I did. And on the interview with James... You, you would have heard that I actually said that anytime James writes a Titan story, I'm hooked. And definitely here that that is the case. I, I was hooked on this book from the very beginning because of those themes. So speaking of themes, Roz, what, what, what's, what, what was one of the standout themes for you? Well, there was sort of three main themes. First was exploration, which I'm sure right in a minute um the other one was prejudice which i know is something that you also want to talk about um and then the the third for me was this idea of what it's the very um sort of philosophical questions that the book poses um of what is the what is life what is the standard by which we judge what is life what is sentience what is a civilization 
Um, and so I suppose one of the, the themes of the book was um, philosophy and morality. It was about getting you to think about these big abstract concepts. Um, oh, no, no, <clears throat> no, definitely. Looking at what's life, it's true because this story deals with artificial intelligence and, and really apart from data we we didn't really we didn't really go through that a lot in in star trek in the in the next generation did we there was there was androids and artificial intelligence everywhere in tos suddenly we get to tng and they're not there anymore and i remember having this conversation with jeffrey lang about this when he was talking about his immortal coil book so it's really good that james has hooked on to that and throughout the book he gets us to challenge or he challenges us and it certainly challenges the titans crew about their concept their perception of what is life i I just think it's really interesting because throughout star trek we've never really dealt with this have we well to a certain extent it was faced in measure of a man Mm. and then in the episode with the i can't remember what the episode's called but the one with the ex-comps oh yes that was season six yes yes but Uh, i mean if we look at there's what 700 odd episodes of star trek across the entire franchise to for that question to only come up twice especially given all of the species and um androids and things that we've discovered over the time that are either entirely mechanical or augmented with machinery like the borg and and some of the other the other species across the years it's it's strange that it hasn't been discussed more in the star trek world so it's nice that it came up again now in one of the novels no it's good and 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 i think what i liked about this is the fact that it challenges the titans crew at a certain point where they've they've had um they've gone through the destiny um trilogy so to speak and and the death sorry they've gone through the destiny saga of the borg invasion 60 billion dead and anything artificial the crew are really struggling to cope and they don't know how to deal with it so when they come across this ai intelligence and they come across all the all these beings because that's what they are they are beings just because they're artificial intelligence they don't know how to react straight away they're they're gearing up for a fight and that diplomacy is not really there and again this is more coming from vel than it is riker yeah, so I mean, there's there's two veins to that. One is the idea that they didn't immediately recognize this being as a life form because they saw a computer device, they saw a big hunk of metal, it wasn't really doing much at the time, brought, carted it back to the ship to have we poke about at it because they were interested in seeing how it works or maybe finding out what happened to the ship, thinking it might be a recorder or something. And suddenly it turns out that it's it's a living, thinking, existing being, and they have to deal with the fact that it's an entirely new concept of of what is life, and you know how do you recognise it when it's staring you in the face? But also then, as you said, dealing with this prejudice that they've discovered in themselves of that they're now inherently wary of artificial life because they've had such a horrific experience with the Borg, and it's it's chipped away at the sort of idealism of, of Starfleet and their principles. Mm. They were always supposed to be very open-minded, very accepting, very inclusive society. And now 
the barrier, you know, the walls are back up. They're they're very defensive. They're on the defensive because they've been so destroyed. Mm. Not just their society has been destroyed, but they're they have been emotionally scarred. They've been um they've been left completely vulnerable and they just don't know how to cope with it. No, it's true. And, and there's a few instances within the story where you see that, where, where they slightly overreact towards uh, the actions that the artificial intelligence are doing, or especially in the opening where they first discover, as you say, they discover this hunk of metal and uh, they're all geared up for a battle and they just want to carry on. And it's just really, really interesting. And I like the way James wrote that, almost fear and the prejudice at the same time because their prejudice is being run by the fear of what happened before yeah and he he has them confront it he has that he has the conversation between Vale and Riker where they say we shouldn't be reacting like this but I can't help myself because yeah. you know we've been burned before and how do we balance out the ideals of the United Federation of Planets and of Starfleet in our mission with the fact that we need to be wary and we're a bit quicker to reach for our phasers now. So yeah, it's, I like that he actually had the characters confront it and say, we acknowledge that we are experiencing a prejudice here and it's maybe it's, it's maybe unfair, but that's human nature is to be defensive when we've been attacked. And, and I thought what was good too is that the Titan do come across this artificial intelligence and they're like nothing we've, we've seen before or read before because they're artificial intelligence. And, and you have, again, this this perception or sorry, you have this con- yeah perception. You have this perception that they're going to be unemotional. They're going to act in a certain way. And whether that's because we've had so many years of data or when we think of artificial intelligence, we sometimes link that to Vulcans in the way they act and they're very unemotional. But these these AIs are completely different. They just seem to have emotions coming out of everywhere. Yeah, I liked the way that James wrote the AIs because they were almost the flip reverse of data in that data looked very like a human so i mean he would look almost identical to a human so he fit in in society that way but he didn't have the the personality and the emotions of and the sort of social graces of a human and so he that was the way that was the way that he stood apart whereas these ais they don't look anything like organics and they don't even look anything like each other they they're described as they are all very different they've all been sort of cobbled together and they you know they don't look like each other they all look quite individual different shapes but in their personality and their emotions and their flaws and vulnerabilities and the way that they think about the world they're actually much closer to um the titan crew because they they do get angry and frustrated and they can be deceitful and they can double cross each other and they can be loyal and dependable and yeah so it's, it's almost like the flip reverse of the uh, the AIs that we've encountered before which is quite which is quite a nice change <laughs> and I thought too that we, we discover as the book goes on that their one purpose in in life so to speak is to protect the area space they're in from what I suppose you could call the big bad of the story the null and it's really interesting that, like many humans, where 
their lives don't seem to be going anywhere and they become stagnant. This entire society has become stagnant because they just have one purpose and they just don't know how to deal with that. Yeah, and they've become very frustrated with their lot in life um, and it's it's causing great tension in their society, which is, again, it, it's a very interesting way of writing it because, as you say, we would think of mechanical beings as um, cold, unemotional uh, very logical but actually they, they're dealing with these massive complex social issues and these um, issues of um, a lack of hierarchy and the fact that they have to work on a consensus a general consensus and and that consensus is falling apart and so their society is is ceasing to function in the way that it used to and that's something that they're all having to deal with and try and cope with it's very it's it's quite a, a <laughs> It's quite a complex book. It's he's James really wrote it with a lot of layers. Um, I think it's one of the more intricate stories that I've read in a long time. But I, I loved it. I thought it was really, really well done. Yeah, he certainly. We mentioned a couple of times about the action, but the the action's there to support all these themes that he wants you to think about, that he wants you to read about, and that's really enjoyable. You're right, and of course. Where where their society is stagnant and they don't know how to do things, we we meet the character of second gen white blue. Yes, he's brilliant. Uh, he's such he a little character. He is, and and they're the he's the person they first meet at the beginning, and they bring aboard the ship, and they get to know him. Um, the crew were almost afraid of him, as we've mentioned, because of past experiences. So it was interesting seeing how they interacted and he didn't make life easy for himself because of a few things he did when he started interacting with titan's computer yeah but i thought he was an interesting character because he didn't break the mold from the rest of the ais that we saw because he did want to improve he did want to do other things he did want to explore and again it's almost like he's the data of their society yes he was he's quite different than some of the other AIs that we meet from his society in that he is much more open to outsiders and to the idea of exploring beyond the boundaries and um, thinking outside the box and not just going along with the way it's always been because that's the way it's always been. So yeah, he's uh, he's very much uh, an explorer like the Titan crew. And another theme of the book we, we, you mentioned was about trust. And the crew of the Titan are struggling, coping with the AI intelligence. But then, due to the actions of second-gen white blue, the Titan's computer achieves consciousness. And again, this completely throws the Titan's crew into doubt. Yeah, and the greatest thing about this part of the book, for me personally, and I know we spoke about this with James, and I just loved it, it's not that... It's not the sort of cool idea of a computer becoming sentient, becoming alive. It's not the um, the fact that the the computer then manifests itself in a certain way through the holographic system. That was all great. But the, my favorite part about this in the book is this theme of morality and the idea that they confront White Blue about what he's done. And he turns around and says to them, but... You know, I was in the computer, it, I saw it was there, it had the ability to become a conscious, sentient being, 
but you had put these sort of firewalls in place that were stopping it from from doing that and you know to the titan crew they're like well yeah we put them there so that it doesn't become conscious because we need it to do what we tell it but to white blue that's that was them basically enslaving a, a life form it's they were preventing it from achieving its full potential and achieving consciousness and that was abhorrent to his society whereas they feel that, that he has violated their trust and their property by doing it so it was this these two sides of the coin and this idea that morality isn't an absolute it's a social construct because for what is right and justified and good for one society is perhaps completely unethical and abhorrent to another society and it made them then reassess their own values and and what they'd been doing i thought for a book to make me think that deeply about something was just brilliant and i've got a degree in philosophy and i love thinking about these big abstract concepts and being able to sort of stretch my mind out a bit and i i felt like i got a really good sort of mental workout reading this book because it posed some enormous questions for what is essentially you know the star trek books are a bit of light-hearted science fiction fan fun but this was like wow i didn't have to think about things this complex when i was doing my degree <laughs> <laughs> no it's it's it works on so many levels and and so many layers it really does it really does challenge you and i think going back to you saying about their um it challenges them later in the book Riker has a scene with the doctor doc dinosaur as Cena and I used to call him <laughs> yeah <laughs> doctor Doc-tree. yeah doc- and 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 Riker thinks about well hold on a minute I I've actually tried to prove that someone isn't sentient as in measure of man when he was against he was a prosecution against data in that wonderful episode and he he has to put aside his his conceptions of what is life and and think about data and and give the titans computer it's due and he he releases it from the constraints he's put it on as the book progresses and and that was quite that was quite um a leap of faith for Riker because it went against everything he believed in but it it also conformed to everything that he believed in because he was out there looking for new life and there there it stands on his bridge you know yeah exactly there there it is so you can't really on you can't with one hand be saying i will you know it, it's not right and it, it shouldn't be happening and on the other hand be going yeah but i'm out here looking for new life and new civilizations so it's, it was definitely a, a conflict for him, but he seemed to uh, resolve it by the end of the book, which was good. Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, as we say, that Titan is such a diverse crew, and yet just because they're mechanical, they just don't at first consider these to be life forms. And it, and it really takes the actions of the book to um, turn their turn their mindset around. And I think it makes them a better crew for it. Yes, yeah. As um, as James was saying when we spoke to him, you know, it's Titan is supposed to be the most diverse crew in the history of of the Federation, and they are. I mean, they have some fantastic mix of characters and mix of species, but they didn't represent AI society at all, because um, because we haven't had an AI 
character member of the crew since data so looking looking at the characters now and we like to talk about the relationships within within the story were there any relationships that stood out for you yes i really loved the relationship between uh, titan and torvig the engineer he is such a sweet character i've always had a real soft spot for torvig because he's just he's he's described as he's got such a, a sweet temperament he's very innocent he's quite naive at times but he's so well-meaning and he is always trying to uh, be the best person and the best friend and the best officer that he can be um, and he you know even physically he's quite sweet he's described as being quite small and with a, a sheep-like head and big eyes and he comes from a race that is augmented with cybernetic uh, arms and eyes and chips in their head and it's allowed them to go from being these sort of grass-eating plane-dwelling animals to being sentient conscious um, functioning civilization and so he and Titan having both achieved sentience through the benevolence of an outside party, they kind of find a kindred spirit in each other. And Torvig uh, gives advice to Titan. She comes to him and he treats him as a confidant and, and tries to he tries to act as a guide to her through her emerging sort of sentience and adapting to becoming part of the crew. And he speaks up for her uh, to the captain. He he speaks up on her behalf and sort of tries to point out the other side of the, the situation to Captain Riker, whereas he maybe wasn't seeing it that way. Tor- Torvig says, well, you know, I, I'm kind of in the same boat and you treat me as an, as an equal. So, you know, maybe you should be looking at this from a, a different viewpoint. And I just thought that was lovely. He just gets his little moment to shine. And I, I really enjoyed the relationship between the two of them. No, I did too. And, and I did enjoy those scenes where he did talk to Riker and he did say that um, these things were, you know, the way you're thinking is wrong. And it just shows sort of Captain Riker is because he takes it on board, he uses it, he thinks about it, and it, it does change the way he thinks. So he's listening to his crew, which I thought was really enjoyable. One of the relationships that stood out for me, Roz, was uh, Riker and Vel in this story. Now, for me... We're seeing Riker get used to being a captain and he's growing in every adventure that he's having. But Vel just wants to act all the time, especially at the beginning of the story. Again, it comes back to these fears that that they're having after the Borg incident. But she feels there's no time for the diplomacy. And a few times in the book, she just wants to jump to action. And this just really reminded me of a young William T. Riker. Oh, how he was on on TNG at the beginning when he was a first officer and I just liked the interactions between the two because it reminded me so much of how Picard would calm Riker down and say well no number one we need to do it this way diplomacy works and I can see that relationship that Picard had with Riker now happening with Rel mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw that too yeah yeah she had that sort of impulsive streak um, that very defend the the ship at all costs that Riker used to have before he became a bit more seasoned and a bit more mellow. And it's, yeah, it's like Riker sort of stepped into Picard's role of saying, 
no, look, now I'm the older, more experienced one, and I can see that that's not the way to approach this. We need to take a step back, and we need to take a moment before we rush in all guns blazing and make a mistake that we can't come back from. So, yeah. Mm. I, th I think a few times it's almost like you could... I think any other ship, say it was Captain Jellicoe, I think he could consider Vale to be, you know, borderline insubordinate. But Riker sort of takes that on board and he, he gives a measured response to the way he interacts with Vale. And, and because they've worked together so long, you know, obviously they were the Enterprise E together and they've moved across to Titan. And I just like that growing relationship between the two. And of course, as we know, by the time we get to the fall and absent enemies, things have changed again in their relationship. So, yeah, it's it's a good evolution of Riker's character. He's definitely grown a lot um, through these books. Yeah, definitely. And 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 as we said to you know, as James said, he's he's the ideal one to lead this crew and 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 this type of mission that they want. Mm. So I also thought what was quite interesting was, and we've spoken about it a couple of times now about the Titan and achieving consciousness. But not only does it achieve consciousness, it actually takes on the form using. Um, a hologram of minuet yes which it's a bit of a shock for Riker <laughs> oh definitely especially now that he's married and, and he's a father and it's changed everything in his life and it's almost like oh that's a part of my past I don't really want to talk about and and I I, I just thought that the relationship the crew have with Titan itself was really interesting with throughout this story because we've spoke about how you know, it could be borderline slavery the the way they were treating it, but the cat's out the bag, so to speak. The 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 computer does have consciousness now, and the way they interact with it is quite interesting. Yeah, there's a very um, varied response, isn't there? There's sort of friendship from Torvig. There's mistrust from um, and sort of wariness from Riker, and then for. Um, Ra oh, I never pronounced this correct. Ra Ra Haveri, Ra Ra Haveri, whoever the chief engineer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Welcome he, to my world. <laughs> he, yeah, he ends up with a sort of um, almost like a father-daughter relationship with her. He gets very, um, very emotionally attached, um, which is is odd for him. You know, we we haven't seen a lot of. Um, Apart from his his developing relationship with Melora, we haven't really seen a lot of other sort of close relationships with him. It's been more sort of internal development of him battling his own demons. This is the first time we've really seen him um, deal directly with another character like this, other than Melora. Did you actually? Oh, sorry, that's silly. I was going to say, what did you think of the actual computer within the story? the way it's growth i suppose that's a valid question isn't it yeah yeah um did you like the way that james had written for titan or minuet as we should say yeah it was good he he, he there was definitely an evolution of the character even though this was um i suppose it was only set over the course of a couple of days the whole story sort of takes place over two or three days um, I can't remember exactly how long, but even though it was such a short period of time, he gave her an, an evolution. She had her her childlike period where it was all awe and wonder and she didn't really know what was going on. And she had her rebellious teenager stage where she didn't 
she pushed back against Riker's authority and didn't want to do what she was told. And then she had her maturing into an adult stage where she could see what needed to be done and was willing to put other people's needs before her own, which was... So she had this this really nice evolution throughout the book. I thought that was... She was... Yeah, it was nicely written. Yeah, it was. And we, as we say, we had these three threads within the story, didn't we? We had the the first contact with the AIs. We had the computer achieving awareness and the crew coming to grips with what had happened with the Borg and overcoming their fears, really. Yeah, and in the in the midst of all this, they're still trying to battle to save the galaxy. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they're doing, it, it, yeah, certainly this the story had a lot of strings to its bow, and yeah. there's a lot going on in this in this tale. So I, I I must admit I did like the way James did describe the knoll because again it's it's as we mentioned this is the big bad but it's it's a spatial anomaly and perhaps more and. I think if it had been any other writer, perhaps they would have struggled on how to bring out the best of it. And I think James did really well. He he made it more than a one-dimensional spatial rift, if that makes sense. Yeah. Do you know what this? Do you know what the null reminds me of? Remember way back when in um, Next Gen we first meet the Borg, yeah. and they didn't speak and they didn't have Lucetus and they didn't have a queen they were just the Borg and they were relentless and they never stopped and it was just drones coming at you in a massive wave and there was nothing that you could do and you couldn't negotiate with them and you couldn't um, plead with them and you couldn't beg for mercy it was there was just nothing that you could do except fight and fight and fight for your survival and that was what the null reminded me of it reminded me of the Borg back when they were truly terrifying <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because the idea of the null and the way that he describes it really sends a chill down my spine the thought of this mindless unstoppable relentless force that you can't negotiate with you can't argue with you can't try and reason with it you just have to either run away kill it or be killed those are your options no, you're right. It is relentless. Yeah. And you do feel that fear as you read the story. And and the fear in the AI is over it as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've obviously, there's a great descriptions of how their numbers have dwindled because these ta- attacks just keep coming and coming and coming. And all they can do is sort of hold it at bay. They've never been able to defeat it. All they can do is fight it until it retreats and then wait for it to come back the next time. And it's you know they can't rebuild their forces as quick quick enough to keep up with its attacks, and so their society has been dwindling and dwindling and dwindling, and that's what's created some sense in the AI that they they don't want to just keep going like this until there's none of them left. So obviously we've discussed the relationships in the book, and they were just brilliant and there's so much character development but I have to say that one of the things that I wasn't so keen on in the book and this isn't really anything to do with James because James we love you you're great (laughs) it's more to do with it's more to do with my problem with all of the Titan books and that is that there's one character that I just cannot warm to and that's um Ranul Karu the Trill security officer Hmm. and he just 
bugs me. And it's totally a personal opinion. I know that there will be other people out there who are like, what? He's brilliant. He's great. I find him a bit whiny. And I'm so sick of hearing about his dead lover from First Contact. I'm yeah. just so tired. Every single book, this comes up. And I'm like, okay, I get it. You're a gay Star Trek character. That's brilliant. Well done, you. But please stop moaning about your dead lover. I'm just tired of hearing about it now. It's quite interesting you mention it because when I spoke to Andy Mangles, we spoke about Kuru and he actually said that a lot of feedback he gets is either that you go on too much about the fact that he's lost his lover or you don't go on enough about it. And he was saying he's finding that balance when he was writing the Titan series. But I think by book six, I I think, you know, that's obviously covered quite a space of time. Then, yeah, he should be allowed to move on. You know, but Andy did say, how long is a mourning period? You know, for some people, it's short. For some people, they never get over these things. But I, I, I'm with you. I found that the character was quick to think of the worst case scenario every time. Yeah. And Yeah, he was. I mean, they were definitely playing up his prejudice against artificial life forms yeah. because of his experience of, yeah. you know, Sean being being killed by the bar first contact so I can understand his use in this story um, and the way that James has put him in as that sort of voice of the prejudice that other people think and some and one of the reasons behind it so I understand these of them I've just all throughout the Titan series I've found him a bit difficult to take as a character and I think one of my reasons that I I get a bit irked with him is because it almost feels a bit like I can't think of a better way to describe this than affirmative action it's like they've wanted to start including gay characters in Star Trek and I think that's right like I think that that demographic should be represented that's absolutely fine but it's it feels really forced because it's brought up so often it's every book and all that is like is like having a big giant sign hanging over this character's head that's like, I'm gay, I'm gay, look, we wrote a gay, aren't we so equal opportunities? Isn't it brilliant? Excellent. I'd rather it was just in there, it was part of the character, but it wasn't regurgitated every time. You know, yeah. it's it seems to be his defining characteristic yeah. as a character is that he is gay and his lover died. And that's pretty much the that's that's his character plotline thus far he's gay his lover died and he's upset about it and that is all i know about this character and it just bugs me so it wasn't particularly this book because you know james is just following on from what's gone before but that character as a whole bugs me so that was something i wasn't so fond of i think i think it slows down the story as well because you do have to go through almost his story again and you have to hear it and and I think, as I say, he, he was always overreacting. But, yeah, it does slow the story down slightly. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's just the same story oh, yeah. every single time he's written. And, yeah, they kind of started developing this friendship between him and Torvig. But then it's only kind of got so far and then they've not written about it in a while. Yeah, so... Yeah. Um, there's just I feel like there's so much more they could do with his character, but his character is being held back because they're so focused on this feature of him being the gay one who lost his lover. And if they could just get past that, 
they could do so much more with them as you know a trill as a security officer as torbig's friend mm. as one of the senior officers on the ship as co sort of tactical security guy with Tuvok and how that is working out for them working together and being so different different to each other but none of that has been explored because they just can't get past this one thing so yeah anyway i'm ranting now but that <laughs> that is i've been wanting to tell somebody about my bugbear with titan for ages and i haven't had anybody to talk to so sorry listeners you got it <laughs> that's, that's my bugbear with titan but overall, I mean, it wasn't, in by any means, it was not enough to dull my enjoyment of this book. It was just, if I had to find one tiny flaw, that was that was it. Not James's fault, but that was it. I, I, I think for me, there's nothing that really stood out for me as something that I didn't like this part of the book. I didn't like that part of the book. I think, if anything, I would like to have seen more about the... AI society more because we only saw glimpses didn't we because there was so much going on in the story which is a good thing because you don't want slow paced books there was so much going on I'd like to have seen a bit more about that because you know we sort of went we sort of jumped in and we found out that white blue was not happy with the way things were going we found out that there's there's an attempted coup there's almost like a civil war going on uh, because of the way that the null is being the how they're coping with the null some some of the ais want to take a different course of action some want to do the same old thing and i think it would have just been good to have seen more about them but it's not a criticism it's just it's just me as a reader saying i would have liked to have seen more yeah no i can understand that and to balance it out one of the things that i really did enjoy about the book was um, just because you reminded me when you were mentioning the sort of civil war, the coup that goes on there, is I liked the fact that James wrote in this character of Red Gold, one of the other AIs who's the leader, the instigator of the coup. I like the fact that they wrote him in as sort of the flip side of the coin to Titan's prejudice against the AIs, mm. AI culture, because Red Gold was very prejudiced against the organics and very mistrustful of them and he had this idea that you know they had, shouldn't be interfering with their um with the ai society that they were meddling in affairs that didn't um concern them that the fight with the null was the ai's responsibility and that the organics getting involved was just going to make things worse and muck it up and that they couldn't possibly be of any help um and of course that's not true because titan in the end do um help and and you know do become part of it but i like that he he had this flip side of the coin that prejudice wasn't it's not just an organic trait it was an it was an artificial trait as well it was one of the emotions that the ais would um experience so yeah i like that it sort of showed the flip side of the coin and the fact that in the end both of those prejudices were were proved wrong and that they kind of came to see the other side of 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 the argument i think one of the things i i enjoy too and, and i'm glad it happened is that white blue actually joins the crew at the end now as we know from the interview with james that was a, a late addition to the story and in the initial drafts that didn't happen but james just felt it was the right thing to do and and i'm pleased they did because again we've spoke about that we haven't really had an artificial intelligence character since data 
and here we've got one now so you know i'll be interested to go back read more stories and see how that character's developed yeah and to see if they use um white blue the same way that they use data as a sort of a sort of the observer to help explore those aspects of humanity that come up through the stories um the way that data used to you know the way that they would have to explain why we were reacting this way to something but then i don't know that they could use him the same way because he is already uh, emotional and reacts to situations mm. quite similarly to the, the rest of the Titan crew. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how they integrate him. So, overall impressions, Roz, of the story? Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was a really good book. It was really well written, and I very much enjoyed being able to talk to James about this and about some of the choices that he made. Because, as I said, I just think that this is one of the most thought-provoking and um, complex. Star Trek novels that I have probably ever read um, and I, I really very much enjoyed it and I it will maybe not be for everyone because it does pose some of these bigger questions but then again for those who maybe don't want to think too deeply into it you can just skim over those bits and enjoy all the the action and the other character development elements of it I think it's probably got a bit of everything and um, sorry it's, it's probably got a bit of something for everybody so yeah no I thought it was really really good book very very well written and probably quite high up on my list of things to read again in the future. So. Oh, wow. That is high praise indeed. Um, <laughs> so with me, it's like, as, as I've mentioned, um, I have struggled with Titan. I, I'm going to be really honest about that. And I, I have said a couple of times now that I've really enjoyed this story because of the way it's written, because it does have that fine balance between action that's needed to move the story along but great character development and great look at some really interesting themes that challenge us as well as challenge the characters you can tell james enjoys writing titan as he mentioned in the interview uh, because i think he captures the essence of titan perfectly and and that essence being it's about exploring strange new worlds it's about seeking new life and and james gets that and he does it so well and I think that's why I liked this particular story so much, because we have all of those concepts. And this story is a Star Trek story. It's as simple as that. This is, if someone says to me, give me a Star Trek story to read, I would choose this one because it has so much within it that looks at the key themes of Star Trek, I think. But overall, I loved it, Roz. I really, really loved this story. Yeah, and it's a testament to how much was in this story that we have spoken quite a lot about the plot on this show um, you know, in response to what the listeners are wanting to hear. But even though we've spoken quite a lot about the plot and you know, there have been some spoilers in there, there have been entire subplots that we haven't even touched on. We haven't talked about what happens to Tuvok and his away team. We haven't talked about any of the older AIs. Um, we haven't, yeah, there are whole big sections. We haven't spoken about um, Malora and or what's Troy. going on with her. Or Troy. There are massive swathes of the story we haven't even touched on. So there are whole subplots that are going on there. Lots of good character development. Um, so there's plenty to still be getting on with. And we do hope, listeners, that you will go out and pick up a copy of this book and have a read because it is just so enjoyable. It really is. It's so multi-layered. There are only a few Trek books out there that have this amount of layers. You know, there are Trek books out there have got a couple of layers, but this has got three, four, five, if not more. Yeah. 
definitely. So worth a read. Definitely worth a read. <laughs> Go out and pick up a copy today. <laughs> definitely. Titan gets a thumbs up from us. So that's us done with Titan. That's another book review out the way, Michael. It is. We're, we're doing well. We, we've looked at Voyager. We've looked at Titan. Uh, and I'd love to go back and look at Titan again soon and see where the crew are and what they're up to. But I think we're going back to the Delta Quadrant next time. We are. We're going to head back over and see what the crew of Voyager are getting up to now that they are uh, back on the other side of the galaxy. And we're going to be looking at Unworthy, I believe. Yes, the second of the new Christian Bayer series of Voyager novels. I don't know about you, Roz, but I would I would love the chance to speak to Kirsten one day about her books, but you never know. Yeah, we'll just have to wait and see and keep all our digits crossed. <laughs> we do, and hope hope that she listens to our shows. But no, it's it's unworthy next time, and we can't wait to talk about that because again, that's a really good book, and again, it takes Voyager in completely different directions. So that's it for this show. Um, if you have enjoyed our review, if you have gone out and picked up the book and had a read, we'd love to hear what you think. Um, we'd love to hear your opinions on anything that we've said and also what you thought of the story. So if you want to get in touch, you can do so through the website at visionarytrek.com. There you can email us, you can send us a voice message, which we'd love to hear from you, or you can contact us on Twitter at visionarytrek. You can also contact me on Twitter at Roslyn S, that's R-O-S-L-Y-N-S, or you can drop me an email at Ros, R-O-Z, at visionarytrek.com. And you can contact me on Twitter at mclark1701, or you can email me at mike at visionarytrek.com. So thanks for joining us at the captain's table, and don't forget to turn the page for our next adventure. been listening to The Captain's Table 